The Rhyming Detective. Episode 2. The Stuffed of Nightmares. My train was late. The chauffeur had waited quite a while when I arrived at the station. He sure was the inquisitive type. He kept on asking me question after question. He knew I was a private detective and the reading of Lord Spade's will was what I was there for. But what we both didn't know was why I was someone mentioned in the will as an inheritor. Maybe he was a grateful client of yours, suggested the chauffeur. I told him I'd never had a grateful client. <laughs> Not that I remember. It was pretty strange receiving that letter about Lord Spade's will. It's strange for me to get any letter that's not junk mail or a bill. Offering to cover expenses, accommodation, evening meal, and a chance to inherit a large amount, that was definitely more than enough to persuade a person like me, what with my more than empty bank account. The driver dropped me at the castle, wishing me luck surviving a night's stay in a haunted location. And he laughed at my surprised look, telling me I should have known it was haunted while with my vocation. I said I may not be a good detective, but... And then I paused to create some suspense. He drove off, leaving me wondering how I was going to finish that sentence. <laughs> as soon as I'd crossed the drawbridge, two enormous wooden doors slammed shut behind my back. A huge beam was mechanically lowered into slats, locking the door with a thwack. An iron poor colour slammed into the ground. And as the drawbridge was raised by a clanking chain-pulling device, a woman shut the control panel, locked it with a key, and explained to me, It's to keep out the mice. The old woman that greeted me had one of those faces my brain found hard to process. She was as attractive as a hot summer's day in my unventilated office. My name's Two. And my name's Two, Two. You can call us Two Two. Us? Sorry, I don't understand, Two Two. From where I'm standing, I can only see you. Do be quiet, Two. You're just confusing him. That's my half-sister talking. We share this body. You see, she's schizophrenic. She's the one who's crazy, not me. Do excuse her manners, Master Dick Dick. She comes from Coventry. <laughs> I'd read people from North Kestephen and Coventry are at great risk of being schizophrenic in a study of psychological cases. Which, if you think about it, is really kind of obvious. Only a schizophrenic would say they came from two different places. To avoid confusion, call us Tutu. Now, you are a little late. The other guests are waiting to start their evening meal. So please follow me. No, don't follow her. Follow me. What else could I do but follow two and two as she argued with herself out loud? It didn't take long to discover that when you're in two's company, two's a crowd. <laughs> we passed through the castle's hugely dim-lit entrance hall, full of stuffed animals. Hunting trophies, so many I couldn't count them all. I could see deer, zebras, buffaloes, rhinos, lions, and a tiger. 
An elephant, a polar bear, a huge snake, penguins and a panda. All things bright and beautiful. All creatures great and small. And Lord Spade's hunting rifle had gone and shot them all. <laughs> For animals that were supposed to be dead, they looked pretty hungry. Their eyes seemed to follow me as I walked by. It was creepy. I'd once dated a taxidermist who'd gone bust because she turned down work that wasn't difficult enough. Apparently, that's an inherent danger in taxidermy. You can get addicted to the hard stuff. <laughs> she liked killing and stuffing animals, she said, because she loved them so much. And I think that's why I decided it might be better not to stay in touch. <laughs> Tutu led me down several candlelit corridors to the dining room where I met the other inheritors. Four of them, wearing the finest clothes and accessories money could buy. Their body language told me I wasn't welcome. I couldn't think why. As Tutu took my coat, I could see they looked even less impressed. Not saying a word, they told me they didn't like the way I dressed. At first, I thought it might be because my T-shirt professed. Capitalism is antisocial in bright, bold letters across my chest. Then one of the guests pointed out to me I was flying low. And with no money for the laundrette that week, I'd go and commando. <laughs> and my zip runs down the front, underneath, and up the other side, which caused a second gasp as I turned my back to the room. As it turned out, it wasn't just a case of me flying low. A more apt description would have been fly me to the moon. <laughs> Maybe it was because I'd not made a good first impression that I was being ignored in the over-dinner conversation. We were all equally spaced around a round table and just where I was sat, there was more cutlery on my table setting than there was in my whole flat. I'm not one for fine dining and struggle to pick the right cutlery. You don't need a knife or fork for pizza, macadies or KFC. The other guests were indulging in the usual over-dinner small talk as we started to dine and the conversation became more fluid in direct correlation to the consumption of wine. As the dessert course arrived, it was John West, the professor, who was the one who made the first conversational faux pas. He proposed the attractive Swedish lady next to me, Amanda Van Eck, had a friendship with Lord Spade that was far from platonic. Amanda Van Eck was shocked. She exclaimed that was absolutely and completely untrue, suggesting a more likely bedfellow was Lady Elizabeth Bartholomew. Lady Elizabeth Bartholomew was outraged and spluttered that for goodness sake. Lord Spade's preferences were more in line with someone like, say, Lord Charles Henry Thay. Lord Charles Henry Thay claimed they were just very good friends. It was Professor John West with whom Lord Spade had spent many long weekends. Amanda Van Eck looked close to tears from the suggestions the other guests were making. I thought to wipe those tears away, she'd appreciate my napkin. Unfortunately, my napkin was under my dessert bowl, which then got displaced, causing the bowl and all its contents to fall onto my waist. Whilst I dealt with my crisis, there were more accusations and a death threat. Then they all got up and stormed off to their rooms. I was the only one left. With hindsight, I suppose I should have made notes at the time on what I'd heard. But I'd been otherwise preoccupied with my spotted dick and hot custard. <laughs> I had coffee and two portions of Petty Fours. Or would that be Petty Eight? <laughs> then I decided to retire to my room, even though I wasn't that late. Needing someone to show me to my room, I found the kitchen by following sounds of a loud altercation. The staff were arguing loudly with each other, even though the entire workforce was only one person. Tutu led me through the candlelit castle. It was both beautiful and creepy. 
and when we got to my room, she handed over to me my room key, told me that an English breakfast would be served promptly at eight, followed by the reading of the will, so I shouldn't be late. I made a mistake in asking if the castle really was haunted. The answer I got back was not the reassuring one I wanted. Oh yes, Master Dick Dick, this castle is haunted all right. By the souls of all the animals shot by Lord Spade. In fact, it was one of the animals what killed Lord Spade. I found him, dead, in this very corridor. His face had a look of horror the like of which I'd never seen before. Died of fright, he did. The doctor said it was pneumonia. I'll tell you what I've told the other guests, Master Dick Dick. Every night of a blue moon, at the stroke of midnight, all the dead creatures in the main hall come to life and prowl the corridors of this castle looking for prey. So, should you leave your room during such a night, Master Dick Dick, you could come face to face with a lion, or a tiger, or a penguin. A penguin? Penguins are not scary. This is supposed to be a scary story. Well, I didn't know, did I? Sorry about that, Master Dick Dick. Just forget I said penguin, all right? Now, where was I? On a blue moon at the stroke of midnight, all the stuffed animals come alive and prowl the corridors of the castle looking for prey. Ah, yes. So, should you leave your room during the night, Master Dick Dick? You could come face to face with a lion, or a tiger, or a shark. A shark? Sharks are scary. Have you never seen Jaws? Of course I've seen Jaws, you idiot. I was with you when you saw it. Well, I may be an idiot, but at least I'm not crazy like you are. I do apologise, Master Dick Dick. Where's he gone? Into his room? Probably tired of hearing us arguing. Good night, Master Dick Dick. Yes, good night, Master Dick Dick. And remember, whatever you do, keep your door locked and don't go wandering around the castle. It's another blue moon tonight. Midnight. some strange reason I couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> Apparently, a good way to get to sleep is to count sheep. 
but unfortunately I checked and there were none in my room to send me to slumber. <laughs> Lying in my room for what seemed an eternity without an inkling of a snooze, I realised I didn't have to count sheep. There were other animals I could use. And I know Tutu said it could be dangerous to wander the castle at night, but only on a blue moon, and the chances of one of those is incredibly slight. I wandered through that dark castle, with only the moon providing me with an eerie blue light. And when I got to the entrance hall, I immediately sensed that something wasn't right. The hall looked different. It wasn't the same as when I'd walked through it before. There was a gap in the hall where three creatures had previously stood, maybe four. Looking around the hall, I deduced one other unsettling thing. I was pretty sure none of those missing creatures was a penguin. I quickly concluded that I should make my way back to my room ASAP. Then I heard the sound of heavy breathing creeping up on me. I turned round expecting to see some salivating creatures. Instead, I saw a person and I recognised her features. I will never know for sure why it was that Tutu was pointing a large shotgun at me. Maybe it was because she was crazy. Or maybe it was the combination of a castle haunted by animal zombies and me wearing a Scooby-Doo onesie. <laughs> Don't shoot, Two. It's Master Dick Dick. You're right, Two. Master Dick Dick. I nearly shot you, sir. What are you doing wandering around the castle in the middle of the night dressed as an animal? I tried to explain there were no sheep where I'd laid frustrated in bed, so I had come to this room to use the dead animals here instead. Tutu gave me a very strange look. I had no idea what she'd inferred, but explanations were put to one side when the first murder occurred. The scream had sounded like it belonged to the professor, and he wasn't answering when we knocked on his room door. Tutu had a master key, but as much as we tried, we couldn't open that door, it was bolted inside. I tried to force the door. It must have been evident I could not, for Tutu asked me to step aside so she could take a shot. Tutu's shot hit exactly where the bolt was. The door swung open wide. We entered room B3 to find the scene of a gruesome homicide. Sat against the wall, the body was stabbed, once on the left and once on the right. The face was pale, eyes and mouth wide open and an expression of pure fright. The only time I'd ever seen horror on someone's face like that before was when it was announced they were going to move Bake Off to Channel 4. <laughs> and like Mary Mellon Sue on the contract's dotted line, of the Professor John West killer, there was no sign. Whoever or whatever killed the professor 
must have been powerful. Those two chest wounds looked like they were caused by the charge of a horned animal. I'm not an expert on lock room mysteries, I hate to admit. I bought a book on the subject, couldn't get into it. <laughs> Alas, before I could investigate any more, there was the sound of another commotion next door. The scream emanated from the room of Amanda Van Eck, and she wasn't answering when we knocked on her door to check. The master key didn't work. I got that feeling at deja vu. But at least this time we already knew just what we had to do. A locked room with a dead body and no one else. It was just like the room before. I was confused. The room before was the room B3, and this was the room B4. <laughs> the strangulation marks on Amanda's neck could have been caused by a very thick rope used by a killer. Or maybe it wasn't a rope. Maybe it was a large snake. Something like, say, a boa constrictor. There had been a large snake among the animal mounts in the hall, as I remember. I considered going back to check it was still there when we felt another tremor. <coughs> the scream emanated from the very next room, B5. I didn't hold much hope the occupant was still alive. I told Tutu to skip trying the master key, hoping to catch the killer at the scene of the crime. But Tutu was out of ammo. They had to reload their gun, which lost us some valuable time. Yet another locked room. Yet another guest had met their fate. This time, the body was Lord Charles, pulverized by a huge weight. From the little I knew of Lord Charles, he would have thought it very unjust for something like this to happen to a member of the upper crust. A crust. <laughs> <laughs> With no windows or other entrances, how did someone get in and out without leaving any clues? Unless, of course, it was something supernatural and didn't have to follow the usual rules. It occurred to me that one possible hypothesis was that it had been crushed by something like a hippopotamus. <laughs> First room B3, then it was room B4, now it was room B5. Where next? I had to figure it out quickly before I ran out of suspects. <laughs> room B6, a fourth locked door. A fourth guest had died suddenly. On the plus side, all this counting was finally making me sleepy. <laughs> the room stank. The body was buried under animal poo from head to toe. For both the victim and the perpetrator, that's a terrible way to go. As for the perpetrator, the one that had dealt it, he, she, or it was no longer around to smelt it. But this time, was there maybe a chance that the victim hadn't yet met her death? 
with only our bare hands to dig her out. We decided she'd had her last breath. <laughs> a trail of large footprints leading to the huge bookcase showed how the perpetrator had made their exit. A secret accidentally revealed because the perpetrator had gone and put their foot in it. <laughs> Whilst relieved this indicated it wasn't something supernatural committing each assassination, the answer to a locked room mystery being a secret door is a very disappointing solution. I found an instruction book fixed to the bookcase that gave a loud click when given a pull. I had to push hard to swing open the secret entrance. Must have been a manual. <laughs> the bookcase swung open, and that bookcase filled the whole wall. Going through, we found ourselves back in the main entrance hall. Of all the creatures in that entrance hall, one in particular stood out, open-mouthed and wide-eyed, just like a crook trying to look innocent while standing in a police identity pride, covered in blood all over his nose, feet, and tusks, and trailing from his bottom some sheets of andrex. <laughs> With all that evidence, there was only one thing left to assume. It was now time for us to address the elephant in the room. <laughs> Master Dick Dick, I don't believe you've met one one. One one is an Asian elephant. The difference between an Asian and African elephant, if you're wondering, is about 5,000 miles. <laughs> Assuming they're located in their place of origin. He's illegally imported but no one knows he's here. A poor elephant, living far from home in an English castle bedsit, which I'm sure is of great concern for anyone who voted for Brexit. <laughs> and on the rare occasions we get visitors, the best place to hide an elephant is here, amongst all these stuffed animals in plain sight. Do you think the reason that all these people are now dead is because one one wants to keep this castle as his homestead? No, Master Dick Dick. The reason I want all the other inheritors dead is so that me and two get enough money so we can each have our own castle. Apparently, this place isn't big enough for two. It's not that. I don't want to share this castle with her. So your motive for all these murders is, from what you purport, because Lord Spade in his will didn't give you a second thought? Yes. I trained one one to kill them all. Professor Jonathan West stabbed in the chest. Dutch woman Amanda Van Eck strangled by the neck. Lord Charles Henry Fake flat as a pancake. Lady Elizabeth Bartholomew Dead under doo-doo. <laughs> now, me and the elephant, we will dismember you. Oh, yes. Me and the elephant, we will dismember you. I told you she was crazy. So it was 2-2 two, two and 1-1 one, one against 1, what could I possibly do? Some say 2 on to 1 isn't fair, but I'm okay with it as long as I'm one of the two. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of the two, I was the one. And as for the two, 1-1 one, one was a big one and 2-2 two, two had a gun. 
I kind of figured I couldn't beat two and two whilst they were both allied. But if I divide two and two into two and get one two on my side, two two would be in two minds over killing me. So to get out of this bother, it may be a very simple case of putting two and two against each other. <laughs> Listen, twos, you can have my share of the inheritance without having to kill. I'm not that bothered about the money. I don't even know why I was in the will. You are in the will because you are Lord Spade's son, Dick Dick Spade. Not that you'd know it. You never came to visit. Actually, my name's Dick Dick Digger, but I did take over Dick Dick Spade's old office space. And you know, I open his mail and stuff. I have to, otherwise I'd never get a case. <laughs> so, you're not Lord Spade's son? That explains why you never came to see him. What are you talking about? Follow the plot. Why would he visit someone he didn't know? But there's still a Dick Dick Spade out there who didn't visit his father. Oh, I see what you mean. And he's the real inheritor. Oh, that messes up your plan a bit, doesn't it? We'll worry about that later. What do you mean, we? I told you, I'm not having anything to do with this plan. I'm not going to prison. Whether you like it or not, we're in this together. If I go to prison, I'll make sure you go too, too. Do you know, I always suspected when it came to the crunch, that's what you'd say. I just haven't been honest with myself. All right then, let's shoot him. No, we can't shoot him. That would mess up my plan. Hang on. Where's that stupid detective gone now? Oh, can I say it? Say what? Oh, you know. No, I don't know. Whilst two and two were busy arguing at themselves, I slipped away and hid myself behind an emu. Sneaking from creature to creature, I ambushed Tutu just after she cried. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? <laughs> Needing a weapon, I'd grabbed a stuffed winged mammal on the way to using combat, and I batted the old bat shotgun using the bat I'd picked up as, uh, well, a bat. The knocked shotgun flew through the air, landing next to a couple of stuffed rhinos. Dropping the bat, I ran to the gun, but one one got there first. By a long nose. <laughs> All right, Master Dick Dick. I am through playing Mrs. Nice Girl with you. It's time for one one to finish you off as I originally planned. Of course. That's your plan. You don't want to shoot me and get the blame. You need one one to commit the crime so you can put the elephant in the frame. <laughs> one one? Kill him. Do as she says, one one. Kill him. Very well. Pass me my gun back. One one smashed the gun into a thousand pieces. Tutu's hold over him was over. Maybe one one had understood everything we'd said. Or maybe he was a dog lover. <laughs> With no gun and one one no longer obeying her commands, Tutu flew at me, intending to kill me with her bare hands. Now one knows some boxing combinations, and I tried to defend oneself with a one one two. 
Unfortunately, turned out Tutu was also a boxer and did a 1-1-2-2. Tutu followed with a 1-6-3-2, hitting one's chin with a crunch. So then one retaliated with a 1-2-3. A counterpunch. Tutu hit one directly in the face with a bunch of fives. Concussed, I fell down onto the floor. On all fours, feeling at sixes and sevens and seeing double, one could see two tutus, maybe more. <laughs> I thought my number was up. Tutu had won. Then one one grabbed tutu to intervene. A change from tutu to one to one one to tutu was not something I'd foreseen. <laughs> I meant to write this up in Microsoft Word, but as you can probably tell, what I went and accidentally did was fire up Microsoft Excel. <laughs> Well, I would have tried to save Tutu if I could, but I just didn't know how. If Wanwan was a wild elephant before, he was a furious one now. Picking up Tutu, Wanwan threw her in a barrel and beat her like some eggs. Then he pulled her out the barrel using his long trunk wrapped around her legs. Tossed her high in the sky, then squashed her as flat as a crepe after she'd hit the floor. Pretty gruesome for you to hear, if it wasn't for my great pancake metaphor. Then one one stared at me for a while and I thought I saw a tear in his eye. He trotted back to his space in the hall, lay down and I swear I heard him sigh. For three weeks we were both trapped in that castle. I couldn't find the drawbridge key. A deep moat, high walls, no mobile signal. There was no way out I could see. Until one day I read that if I should press nine on my room's phone I got an external line. So I managed to call the local police and explained it all. Called them every day till I convinced them I wasn't a crank call. <laughs> and so I've come to the end of this story. Annoyingly, I didn't get paid on the legal technicality that I'm Dig Dig Digger and not Dig Dig Spade. As endings go, I have to say this one's high on the scale. You always get a big end in with an elephant tail. <laughs> Tutu did some terrible things that she never got to repent, like giving her less intelligent half a West Midlands accent. <laughs> One one was sent back to India by an animal charity, in case you were wondering. So to sum the whole story up, Tutu was dead, one one was free, and it was all for nothing. The Stuff of Nightmares by Simon Paul Miller, who also played the part of Dick Dick Digger, Lorna Bartels played the part of Posh 2, and voiced the part of Common 2 too. Sound engineer Andrew Jacob kept recording problems to a minimum. And to all the sound effects we played today, the source from audiobox.com. Jeremy Miller was this episode's director. Thomas Adams did the excellent podcast cover. The rhyming detective is recorded at Dale Street Church in Levington. And it was a rhyming detective podcast production. Ooh.